This is uh, Dr. Pedro Ramirez, Editor-in-Chief of the International Journal of Gynecological Cancer. And today I have the great pleasure of welcoming again <laughs> Dr. Dimitrios Nasiudis, uh, who is in the Department of Obstetrics and Gynecology the Hospital of the University of Pennsylvania uh, in Philadelphia in the U.S., of course, and uh, also very happy to announce that Dimitrios is now ongoing to uh, a fellowship in gynecologic oncology at the University of Pennsylvania. Um, and the topic of this discussion is going to be his article um, published in our uh, journal as a lead article, Minimally Invasive Hysterectomy for Stage 1A Cervical Carcinoma, a Survival Analysis of the National Cancer uh, Database. So, Demetrius, welcome back and congratulations again. Thank you. It's a real honor to be here with you. So, Demetrius, uh, let's uh, let's start um, by um, certainly addressing um, one of the main questions, obviously, now since the results of the LAC trial, is whether a minimally invasive approach can be performed safely in the setting of microscopic disease. Uh, and some might argue that certainly there is not enough of these patients with a very, very small tumors so that we can conduct a prospective randomized study. So then brings me to the question as to uh, why did you think uh, this was important to do it in this particular setting um, and with this uh, data repository? Yeah, so uh, currently in light of the results of the LAC trial, practice guidelines do discourage the performance of minimally invasive uh, hysterectomy for cervical cancer. However, as you mentioned, the question remains is whether minimal invasive approach could be potentially considered for patients with uh, microscopic tumors, since for these patients, the risk of tumor disruption is spread during uterine manipulation or colpotomy is very low. There is also uh, emerging data uh, from retrospective studies that report comparable outcomes between MIS and laparotomy following cervical colonization and no residual disease. Uh, suggesting that volume of uh, tumor can play a key factor in uh, relapse after MIS. Unfortunately, given the very low incidence of cervical cancer, the majority of retrospective studies group patients with stage 1A disease with those two that have stage 1B disease, and they do not have the sufficient statistical power to detect any potential differences in relapse uh, or death rates. Uh, also, uh, there is no, to, to my knowledge, there's no other data um, helping us uh, determine what's the best mode of simple hysterectomy uh, for these patients. Uh, so that's the main reason we access the National Cancer Database, which covers approximately 70% of all newly diagnosed cancer cases in the U.S. and has a very large number of patients uh, and data. Yeah. So it was actually exactly uh, very impressive numbers of these very um, rare, uh, if you could say, patients, 1,930 patients. So I was wondering if you could speak a little bit about, more specifically, the inclusion criteria for the study. Yeah, so we identified patients with uh, pathological stage 1A squamous, denosquamous, or adenocarcinoma of the cervix, who had no prior history of another tumor and had at least one month of follow-up and uh, underwent simple or radical hysterectomy with no mode of surgery. Uh, in the sensitivity analysis, we also included patients that had clinical stage 1A disease to validate the results of our main analysis. 
Yeah, and um, one of the things also that I noticed was that you included uh, patients undergoing simple and radical hysterectomy, and and in having some discussions about this um, manuscript, uh, some of my colleagues uh, some might argue that this was you know may not be ideal as we're interested more so in the radical hysterectomy uh, setting for these patients. But uh, understandably, obviously, these are very small tumors, uh, and invariably these patients might have undergone a simple hysterectomy. But ju just wondering what your thoughts are on that. Yeah, that's true. Um, including both uh, simple and radical hysterectomy adds a level of confounding in our study. However, we did perform uh, a priori stratified analysis based on mode of hysterectomy. Also, uh, the, um, there is a trend currently for stage 1A disease for less radical surgery. So simple hysterectomy may in the future be um, a valid option for all patients with stage 1A disease. Uh, so that's why in the absence of prior evidence for simple hysterectomy, we opted to include both simple and radical hysterectomy groups. Yeah, that's a great point. And, uh, and I think we're going to get to to the topic of uh, simple hysterectomy for these patients a little bit later. Um, so what were the main findings of your study? Again, 1,930 patients. Um, wondering also if you can speak a little bit just so, so that we can get a reference with regards to the stage distribution of uh, these patients and the surgical approach distribution. Yeah, so uh, the majority of the patients that we included had stage 1A1 uh, disease, 73% uh, of them, and 24% uh, approximately had stage 1A2. Uh, the majority of patients, 64.1%, had a simple hysterectomy, uh, while 35.9% had a radical or modified radical hysterectomy. Uh, the majority of them had a minimal invasive approach with 22.7% uh, uh, traditional laparoscopic approach, 41.8% robotic assistic approach, and 35.5% uh, had a laparotomy. Mm -hmm. uh, in our main analysis, we found no difference in overall survival between the open and minimal invasive hysterectomy groups even after controlling for uh, confounders uh, that we selected a priori, such as pace and AIDS, tumor histology, and uh, presence of LVSI. Uh, following stratification by type of hysterectomy, as well as disease substates, we did not see a difference in overall survival between the two groups. And also in sort of sensitivity analysis, uh, we didn't find a difference between MIS and uh, laparotomy for clinical stage 1A disease. So then that brings me to, to the next question, um, particularly, you know, as you mentioned, uh, a large majority of the patients were stage 1A1, um, and, and some might argue that certainly these patients absolutely don't need a radical hysterectomy, most likely if uh, fertility preservation is being considered, uh, just the colonization would be sufficient. But actually, if doing a simple hysterectomy on these patients, um, what, what do you think should be the ideal approach, open or minimally invasive surgery? Yeah, so there's no, unfortunately, there's no good data to support uh, either approach. And uh, in our practice here at Penn, we have a discussion with the patient and we mentioned the results of the LAC trial, even though that's referred to uh, stage 1A, one with LVSI and radical hysterectomy. And it's, uh, it's a discussion and counseling with the patient before we select the optimal route. And that was one of the main reasons we conducted this study. 
Uh, and uh, in regards to your prior question, yes, for stage 1A, uh, one simple hysterectomy is the preferred uh, mode of hysterectomy, the preferred hysterectomy type. And actually, conization for women that have, uh, that w wish to retain their reproductive potential is a very valid uh, option. Uh, actually, and for ESCO guidelines, like completion of uh, simple hysterectomy after a negative cone, does not, uh, there's no evidence of additional benefit. Mm -hmm. um, so uh, it is, we, we tend to do simple hysterectomy for women that uh, have uh, completed the reproductive potential and uh, just a cone if they're medically unfit for surgery. But there's no like evidence to suggest that uh, simple hysterectomy in addition to a negative margin cone adds to the survival. Right. And then now one of the other things also that I noticed was actually, you know, very interesting that, you know, we're looking at a time frame from 2010 to 2015, so fairly recent, and that um, 53% of patients, only 53% of patients with stage 1A2 had a radical hysterectomy, uh, which to me m means that there may be some already change in practice in in the in our community of gynecologic oncologists um considering that in routinely a 1a2 patient should undergo a radical hysterectomy uh seeing that nearly half of them are actually undergoing a radical hysterectomy so to my question is you know what are your thoughts with regards to what this means uh, about our current practice uh in in, in fact without evidence from prospective studies that suggest that a 1A2 patient should, can undergo a simple hysterectomy. Yeah, that's true that um, even though the NCCN guidelines do recommend a modified radical hysterectomy for patients with uh, 1A2 disease, we saw that approximately half of our patients uh, underwent a simple hysterectomy. Of course, we did include patients with uh, pathological stage 1A2. So, more likely there might be some patients that uh, underwent simple because it was presumed 1A1 disease and they found in the final specimen 1A2. However, uh, there was a prior study uh, using the NCDB that uh, was published by the group of Dr. Wright and they did find a trend, an increasing trend of uh, using simple hysterectomy to treat stage 1A2 disease. There is um, there is retrospective data to support that for patients with uh, a favorable tumor characteristics, the incidence of parametrial invasive is less than one percent. However, as you mentioned, there's no uh, prospective data out yet uh, to support the simple hysterectomy for stage one and two. Um, we anticipate the shape trial to give us some more guidance in this. Uh, this matter and uh, also more recently the CONSERV uh, trial was presented and they did demonstrate a very low relapse rate. Uh, I think it was 3% with, with conservative surgery among patients with uh, stage 1A2, 1B1 disease and favorable tumor characteristics. Uh, to notice, uh, to note, uh, ESCO guidelines do reflect the retrospective data and state that simple hysterectomy may be an adequate treatment for stage 1A2 disease, uh, contrary to the NCCN guidelines. Interesting, yeah, and definitely looking forward to the results from the uh, uh, CONSERVE uh, trial that I think uh, will s hopefully soon be published. Um, now, this is one of the questions from our uh, journal fellows. Uh, uh, he asked, in this study, uh, patients who had an open approach were more likely to undergo a radical hysterectomy and undergo a lymphonectomy. 
How do you think this impacted the results of your study? Yeah, uh, so patients who had laparon were more likely to have lymphadenectomy and radicalized possibly reflecting uh, more aggressive disease. However, we did control for tumor histology and LVSI in our multivariable model and did perform stratified analysis by substates and type of hysterectomy, and yet still we didn't see any survival differences. Mm -hmm. And then um, this is uh, another follow-up question from uh, another of our fellows um, that states, in 64% of patients, a surgical procedure was done prior to the hysterectomy, so presumably a cone or a leap. Do you have any uh, data on residual disease in these patients, uh, and could this have impacted uh, the survival outcomes? Yeah, so uh, we didn't see any difference in the survival between patients who did and did not have a prior uh, cervical uh, procedure that was presumed to be a cone. Um, however, we have excellent survival in both groups, so it's difficult to detect any differences. Um, and unfortunately, the NCDB does not collect data on the residual disease in the hysterectomy specimen. Mm -hmm. However, there is emerging data from Italy and from the Sucur uh, study that uh, conization before uh, radical hysterectomy may be a have a protective effect, especially for patients with stage 1B disease. Yeah. Now, Demetrius, uh, you know, certainly one of the um, arguments that are made uh, as we go through discussions of this very um, obviously unique patient population, the microscopic disease patients, is, you know, we should do a, a prospective uh, study. But I think it should be highlighted, as you've shown in your study, in 1,930 patients, there were 37 deaths, so 2% and four-year overall survival of 98%. So this highlights, obviously, the fact that the likelihood of recurrence of death in these patients is exceedingly small. Um, so in your mind, having gone through so much data and the experience that you have with regards to all of the studies that you've done and published in this, uh, in, in sort of in this field, um, what, what, what do you say to those who propose, well, let's do a prospective randomized study to look at simple versus radical or open versus minimally invasive in a population that has a death rate of 2% and a survival rate of 98%. Yeah, exactly. It's uh, very technically demanding and uh, research um, intensive to collect uh, so many patients. And uh, it's it's a, it's uh, unlikely that a randomized trial may be will be feasible in this patient uh, population. If we see in the, as you mentioned, the incidence is very low and the number of events is very low as well. So the number that would need to be accrued would be very large and uh, it will be very resource uh, intensive. Even in the LAC trial, there were only 51 patients out of 630 that had stage 1A disease that mm -hmm. underlines that how rare stage 1A disease uh, is. And also in prior uh, retrospective studies, for example, from the Swedish Cancer Registry, there were only 30 patients with stage 1A disease that had a radical hysterectomy. So it is uh, extremely unlikely that a randomized trial will be feasible and uh, probably the resources should be allocated somewhere else. Yeah. And then now, in, in your discussion, you go over data that has been published recently on tumors less than two centimeters and the surgical approach. And I, I think you did a great job summarizing some of that data. Um, 
Can you talk to us a little bit about what you learned as to what's been published so far in tumors less than two centimeters in surgical approach? Yeah, so unfortunately, we, there's no data to support that MIS is safe for uh, tumors less than two centimeters. There are multiple uh, retrospective studies uh, out there. However, the, many of them are not powered to detect the statistical significance uh, between the uh, the two groups for uh, tumors less than two centimeters and that others do not have uh, equal follow-up in both groups or do not control for confounders. Uh, we actually uh, analyzed the NCDB and we recently published and uh, for patients with stage 1B disease and tumors less than 2 centimeters, we did find a statistically significant trend towards worse overall survival for patients who had minimal invasive uh, radical hysterectomy. Um, in addition, uh, we did pull um, in a recent meta-analysis data from 10 observational studies and we that had adequate follow-up and control for confounders, but we again found worse PFS uh, in the minimal invasive uh, radical hysterectomy group. On the other hand, there are some um, big registries from the Netherlands, Sweden, and most recently from China that so there's no difference uh, between the two groups for small tumors. Mm -hmm. Great. So now um, let's talk uh, about the potential results of the SHAPE trial. And I say potential because obviously we don't know what those results are. Um, this question comes to us from Irina Sibulak. She's one of our journal fellows from Austria. And she says, anticipating the results of the SHAPE trial, uh, which obviously we know is the uh, prospective uh, randomized uh, study of uh, simple versus radical hysterectomy in these low-risk uh, low groups. Um, do you, did you see survival differences in patients with stage 1A uh, who underwent simple hysterectomy compared to those who underwent radical hysterectomy? Yeah, we we didn't see any difference in the two groups, uh, even though our, we have a small number of uh, patients in our study. And uh, these results mirror prior analysis of this year in the NCDB database that did not find a detrimental impact of simple hysterectomy in the survival patients with stage 1A disease. And actually, uh, this uh, an interesting systematic review and uh, great journals just uh, published by the group of Dr. Wright, and they did find, again, favorable uh, relapse rates for patients with stage 1A that had um, simple hysterectomy. So we definitely anticipate the with great interest, the results of the SAFE trial uh, that can help, uh, that would give more evidence to change our practice. Yeah, and, um, <laughs> you know, looking at the three years from now, completion of your uh, fellowship, uh, what do you think? Do you think you'll be doing radical hysterectomies on uh, such patients? Probably not. Um, <laughs> probably, especially in the absence of uh, LVSI, probably not. Uh, so, uh, but uh, we need some uh, prospective randomized trial uh, data to support the uh, practice changes before uh, we are based on like retrospective data. Hopefully the SHAPE uh, results will be out before uh, completion of your fellowship, right? Yeah, I think it's <laughs> 2023, uh, the completion or something like that. Exactly. So then uh, this next question comes from Kike uh, Chacon from uh, Spain. Um, he says, Following the results observed in your study and taking into account the difficulty of conducting clinical trials um, in this group of patients with microscopic cervical tumors, do you think that this study, uh, your study, may be sufficient to recommend 
minimally invasive approach in this particular group of patients, or do you feel that there is um, additional evidence needed? Uh, does this study answer this question definitively? I think um, NCDB data give like an approach, a uh, global approach, and uh, there's unfortunately there's no granular data. So I believe there should be more follow-up studies uh, to uh, examine this question. However, as we discussed, the incidence is so small. So um, most likely a multi-center, multi-institutional retrospective study would be helpful to give us more evidence on the safety of MIS for patients with stage 1A disease. And if we look out there in the literature, there are many published series that do have a number of stage 1A disease. So we do invite our colleagues to join our efforts and pull their individual patient level data to help answer this question. Yeah. And then um, this next question, and I think I, I know the answer to part of the question, uh, comes from uh, Nicola Bessari in Italy, uh, another of our fellows. Um, was the overall survival uh, in analyzing your study also including deaths that were non-cancer related? And what do you uh, consider um, whether you know whether there were any differences uh, in disease-free survival? Yeah, so uh, we examine overall survival and death by any cause. Unfortunately, the NCDB does not collect data on tumor relapse, location of tumor relapse, or cause of death. So we couldn't investigate differences in disease-free survival. So uh, we don't really know if there is a disease-free survival difference that is, does not translate to an overall survival difference given the very uh, good prognosis of stage 1A disease. Yeah. And I think, uh, as you mentioned, it's important to highlight that uh, the database does not provide information about uh, the disease-free survival, correct? Yeah, exactly. Um, and this last question from our fellows is uh, um, from Anna Collins from the UK. And uh, there was no survival difference uh, between patients assumed to have had a preoperative cone or, or leap uh, versus those who did not. Uh, would you therefore recommend uh, a preoperative cold knife cone to assess extent of tumor prior to definitive surgery or proceed with definitive surgery based on biopsy and radiological staging alone in a patient with stage 1A disease? Yeah, so uh, as in our practice, we routinely perform uh, preoperative cone for uh, stage 1A, presumed stage 1A disease since uh, pathologic examination of the cone specimen can give us very valuable information, uh, such as presence of LVSI, depth of stromal invasion, and tumor like size too. Um, that can guide like uh, surgical planning of definitive treatment. However, in addition, uh, I need to point that uh, preoperative clinical assessment of tumor size can be very poor. There was a recent uh, multi-centers analysis from the United States. Um, that um, among 290 patients with no visible disease on pre-op assessment, uh, the majority, 60% of them actually had uh, tumor on the final pathology. Mm -hmm. So in, if there was no cone performed, uh, this could have potentially been missed and uh, could have modified uh, the surgical planning from simple to radical or modified radical hysterectomy. Uh, of course, in the future, if uh, simple hysterectomy will be the standard of care for um, for uh, both one A and small one B one, maybe this you, someone could proceed without a cone. Uh, but again, LVSI is an important factor that could. 
give more data of whether sentinel lymph node or lymphadenectomy lymph node assessment is needed. And then now, Demetrius, obviously, one of the major strengths of the of your study is that the large number of patients, 1,930 patients. But what would you highlight as uh, some of the limitations of the study? Yeah, so as I previously mentioned, the National Cancer Database does not have granular data. It uh, ha- does not have central pathology review, so we cannot exclude possible histology or staging misclassification. Uh, in addition, some of the patients had a known pathological stage and were not included in our analysis. Well, uh, with the NCDB does not collect data on the cause of death, on tumor relapse, uh, location of tumor relapse. So we couldn't analyze differences in progression-free uh, cause-specific survival or uh, patterns of relapse. Also, we don't have data in the use of uh, uterine manipulator uh, during MIS mm. or the specific details on uterine size or patient's uh, functional status or uh, surgical history that could have influenced uh, the surgeon's decision on the right of hysterectomy. And lastly, we don't have data on the type of surgeon that operated in this patient. Uh, so um, there is uh, there are a lot of information, useful information that are not included in the NCDB. Yeah, so then now brings us to our last question, one that I routinely ask uh, the authors. Um, what do we do with this information? Based on the data from this study, um, how should we um, change our discussion with our patients? How do we uh, proceed with uh, practice in this patient population? Yeah, I think uh, this study gives some some data to uh, have a discussion with the patients and um, have an informed decision on the perf- the optimal route of uh, hysterectomy for um, early stage one A disease. Uh, as I previously mentioned, in our institution for simple hysterectomy, we do discuss um, the results of the like trial and the available data, and uh, we make a decision with the patient of whether MIS uh, will be performed. Uh, however, if we do radical hysterectomy, still our standard practice is to perform laparotomy, given the results of the, from a randomized uh, trial. Mm-hmm. Well, Demetrius, thank you once again. Demetrius Nasiudis, uh, welcome to the field of, of gynecologic <laughs> oncology. Thank you. Uh, I have to really honestly congratulate you uh, so early in your academic career and um, having already so many publications that have truly contributed to our field. Uh, really excited uh, to see what, what comes next uh, in your future and your future publications. And as always, thank you for submitting your work to our journal. Thank you. Thank you. It's a pleasure being here with you. Thank you.